0: Welcome to Feels Like Home, a home, garden, and design podcast
1: with me, interior designer Sam Strzok. And me, stylist and photographer Eva Kosmas Flores. Each week, we'll bring you down-to-earth advice to help you create beauty in your living space and vibrancy in your garden. Along with insights and tips from our guests... Plus, every episode, we'll dive into listener mail and help you solve a garden or design problem.
0: So send them on over to us at FeelsLikeHomePodcast at gmail.com. So pull
1: up a seat and make yourself at home. Hey. Hi. Good to be here with you guys again today. Spring is almost here and we're very excited. Yes. It's a little
0: dreary, though, today still. Yeah,
1: it is. We did have a really nice day a few days ago. It was like 60 degrees Mm -hmm. and sunny. So I went outside and tried to soak up that as much as I possibly could, which (laughs) felt really good. Um, Yeah. Yeah, which is actually part of my strides for the week, which I guess, why not dive right in? Let's get in it. Yeah, so my stride for the week was uh, I worked on this strip of garden that we have along the side of the garage. Um, so I have some raised beds there. That's where I put all my tomatoes last year. And um, I also have a ton of bulbs there too. So in the spring, it's nice because it's covered in uh, bulb flowers, like tulips and daffodils. And then in the summer it's pretty because there's just juicy tomatoes hanging out over there. But that area is like pretty wild and crazy. So i Uh, Because I left my tomato, like dead tomato plants up forever. So I think I already talked about clearing those. So that felt really good. But now what I did was I went and composted the whole area. Oh, nice. So uh, the bulbs hopefully will produce a lot of pretty flowers. And I also put some bulb organic like fertilizer mix down too. And then because that area has a lot of problems with weeds, like grasses and stuff, I put bark mulch on top of that to hopefully like seal in all of the compost goodness and the fertilizer and stuff, but also block any weed seeds from getting Ooh. light. So hopefully I'll keep keep the weeds down preventatively. Nice. So TBT, hopefully it works out, <laughs> but at the very least it looks nice, you yeah. know, because now you have the green buds poking out and the, just a nice kind of reddish brown bark. So it looks yeah. very neat. And Have tidy. you done the bark?
0: on top of the compost like that before
1: yeah it does help it doesn't eliminate it entirely but it does reduce it a lot Hmm. so it is a really nice preventative thing i've also heard people use use straw instead of bark mulch um to keep weeds from coming up but i just feel like straw is kind of uglier and so i tend to go with bark mulch because it's like a pretty reddish brown color yeah Yeah, Yeah. that makes
0: sense what about
1: your struggle it's just been really busy Like, I'm just tired. I've just been a busy couple weeks, just a lot going on, and I'm really jonesing for some very chill, like relaxation time where it's like a weekend where I have nothing to do. Yeah, I feel like, too, because the weather's getting nicer, I'm just feeling a really deep pull to spend more time outside. So, Mm -hmm. I really just want to have a weekend where I have nothing on the social calendar or like anything so i can just spend the whole weekend outside doing yard work stuff because it just feels really good i don't know just feels good for my soul to be out there so i'm really looking forward to um and in about a week my schedule is going to come down calm down significantly so it'll be nice to just spend more time (laughs) outside i can't wait nice (laughs) what about you
0: Um, yeah, so this week we completed the garage, which (gasps) I feel like I've said that on several episodes, like I've got to do the garage. So I feel like that was a huge stride that we accomplished this week, which is great.
1: That's so awesome.
0: No plans yet on what we're doing in the garage, but it's done. So yay, that's good. Um, and then struggle. Yeah, I feel like it's just been a weird week in general business is really stressful, mostly just from like the, I don't know, administrative end. So one of the things that's been heavy to figure out and navigate is just healthcare for the team. So we're in the midst of kind of transitioning the team and uh, wanting to offer healthcare benefits. And it's a complicated thing to navigate. Thankfully, Jordan, my husband is like really good at researching and kind of breaking things down, but we are committed to, you know, a hundred Paid for healthcare and it being like premium healthcare, not just like hundred percent paid, but also there's like huge deductibles, and you're gonna have to pay a lot to have access to it. So, um, just navigating what options are out there for small businesses, and you know, making sure that it's the most honoring to the team, or Mm -hmm. for even just for my own family, selfishly, you know, just like figuring out how we do that as a business is like pretty stressful. Yeah. But it's good. I feel like we're making headway. And it's definitely one of those things that once it's like dialed in, we get to check the box and move on. So, yeah, like good. a one and done. Yes. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, you're almost there. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're both in the same places. We're just like, it's been a lot and I really need to just chill and relax. Yeah. Just a big mental load going on. Sure. Yeah. But
0: thankfully, even just like getting to do the podcast and talk about fun things or just like sit here and chat and um, kind of sit together at the table. It's it provides a really beautiful moment of inspiration in my life so yeah thank you to all of you that are
1: listening and participating yeah i feel this exact same way i'm really excited about our guest today so uh, we have sarah and joe blasi from Mm -hmm. selva floral design and so they're incredibly sweet and deeply talented women um and they're actually a mother and daughter duo yes. so uh, we're going to talk about flowers which is, is just such a joyful thing to think about and you know have in your home and also grow if you're a gardener so you know thinking about spring maybe a little bit of food for thought for you guys about what you might grow or even for next year but um yeah with that why don't we dive in to our chat let's do it okay great Want gorgeous photos of your home? I've made five beautiful Lightroom mobile presets that will bring brightness and beauty to your space, and you can grab them for free at feelslikehomepodcast.com. Our guests today are mother and daughter team Sarah and Joe Blasi from Selva Floral Design. Sarah is a floral artist known for her unstructured and abundant floral and botanical designs. She focuses on sourcing local and sustainably grown flowers and foliages from the small flower farm she runs with Joe. Joe is an incredibly talented floral gardener, and both she and Sarah are extremely passionate about growing flowers sustainably and seasonally with a low environmental impact. We're so excited to dive into all things flowers and spring with them today. Thank you guys and welcome. Hi. Hello. How are you guys doing? Great. I just made a cup of
0: tea and I'm getting cozy. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. We also have our our cups of tea yeah. warmed and ready to chat. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so go ahead and tell us a bit about yourselves, where you're from, and how each of you kind of got started with what you do with flowers.
2: Um, you can go, Mom. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> Um, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, born and raised and loved gardening out there. And then we moved here just as I turned 40 to the Pacific Northwest, Portland in particular, and discovered a whole new world of gardening, mm-hmm. one that was uh, much more uh, fertile than in the high desert Southwest. Um, I used to teach. I was a special ed teacher and a regular ed classroom teacher. And then I wanted to stay home when I started having a family. I was a stay-at-home mom. Goodness, through I think all of the years of the kids going to school, except to volunteer at school, and and then I also uh, kind of kept reinventing myself after that. I owned a small business. I went to work at Al's Garden Center and Pottery Barn, and then I I just kind of evolved into uh, growing for a professional kind of business. I grew for potted containers and taught classes. Individual classes or group classes on how to have potted containers and it just evolved into the floral industry.
1: That's so cool. And I, I'll definitely want to pick your brain about the Southwest a little bit later too, because that's such a fascinating growing environment.
0: It is. And Sarah, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself too and how you got into oh. kind of the venture with your mom?
3: Yeah. So, um, I, I'm going to start with where I am now, and then I'll talk about how I got there. Um, so (laughs) I, um, I currently own a event, um, floral design company. I've been working for myself for, well, I've been doing events for about 12 years now, maybe longer been working fully for myself for about 10 now. And part of just my process in being a business owner and the evolution of just the flowers that are available and seasonality. Um, and just the event world and floral industry in general can be really, for lack of a better word gross. Um, there's a lot of a lot of waste, a lot of pesticides used in growing a lot of the flowers, especially imported flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of got to a place within my business. I've always been like very interested in sustainability within um, what I do and how I live my life. And um, I feel like gardening slash you know farming flowers that I can I can use for my events just became a pretty like obvious answer for me in a lot of that because again I just was really trying to avoid using a lot of um, product that was flown in from across the world the globe um, and product that was just not grown sustainably. And, you know, I, I, people always ask me how I got into floral design and I always say, well, I think it was because of my mom, um, (laughs) because (laughs) I did just grow up, um, with an appreciation for, you know, nature and a love of just being outside and, um, you know, growing up with my mom, always having a garden, always having plants, um, plants and pots around and inside and outside. Um, I think I just really appreciated that. And when I got a little bit more into the, my, my business and feeling like I wanted to start growing, um, specifically for my events, um, it was very obvious that it's like, okay, well, mom, let's <laughs> like, what can, you know, what, what can we do to, to start, uh, kind of combining our talents and our, our love, um, so that mm-hmm. we can both, uh, benefit
2: from 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 our needs (laughs) from our needs and our love definitely well put
1: yeah so so joe you're doing most of the like flower growing and then sarah you're doing like the arranging and you know like a floral event decorating
2: that's probably the the meat and bones of it but when covid happened and Um, Unfortunately, Sarah lost her weddings that year. She really dove into the farming aspect of it, too. Hands on getting dirty. (laughs) (laughs) She started a rose garden. Um, I told her I'll never grow roses. They're high maintenance. But she picked an area off our property and developed a rose garden that so far is thriving. So um, she de- she's definitely leaned into the farming more. Oh. And we were just talking, um, definitely I'm the more the farmer grower and she's joined that. And we're trying to decide if that's still healthy, especially with all her needs this year for events. She may step back a little bit from the hands-on farming, but she's mm-hmm. so involved in the planning of it and what to grow and hiring the help to help me with it. So I would still say she's a farmer as well.
3: That's yeah, I do do what I can when I can, you know, being like I've been running my business by myself now for so long. I actually just hired um, an event manager um, because it's just too much for me to manage all of my events. Plus be farming. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I think within the next couple of years, my my goal in the next few years is just to get m- even more involved in the farming because I love it. it. You know, it's just really good for my soul. And that's what feels really good. I love the events, but it's also really high stress and um, <laughs> a lot. I mean, farming's a lot of work, too, but. So is producing, you know, large uh, weddings and events. So I yeah. think getting into farming in the next few years is kind of where I'm wanting to go. I just need to set my business up so that it can, it can work without me. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice?
0: <laughs> We're all trying to get there. Yeah. So I feel You're like not that's, alone. Yes, yes. <laughs> Joe, you mentioned that you are, you know, you were not interested in growing roses, but I'm curious if someone is, you know, starting to grow flowers for the first time, what are some of the easiest varieties that you'd recommend for people to try? I have to
2: admit, this was a fun thing to think about. (laughs) And I decided to, because I was like, my list could go on and on of easy. So I ended up breaking it up into some categories. I thought, let I'll give you some ideas for annuals. I love that. And be, be, these you could grow from seed. They'd be easy to grow from seed, or you can buy them already grown in the little pots containers. And so that list would include for me zinnias, sunflowers, wildflowers. You just throw them out there, and they they will grow as long as it's not growing in a weed patch. Um, cosmos, marigolds, or for the flower arranging that Sarah does, we grow the taller varieties and they're very easy to start. Poppies are slightly more difficult, but the Oriental poppies are perennial, so they'll come back every year and they're very low maintenance. So I like that. Um, then there's the perennials. I, In my opinion, the easiest ones would be like Sedum, Autumn Joy, Echinacea, and Coneflowers, Celebores, um Siberian iris, which is different than the bearded iris mm. that we do grow a lot of because they're not slug magnets. They don't turn to mush when it freezes. Mm. Um, they come back every year. The flowers, the variety of flowers are not the same as in the bearded iris. There's a whole world of color and styles with the bearded iris, but the Siberian iris are easier to maintain. So I I picked that as one of my easier ones. And then I did put bearded iris just because they're very easy to grow, but they do require maintenance with slugs and with dividing every three to four years. Yeah. Peonies and hucaras and hollyhocks, which are easy to grow from seed and carnations, are making this huge comeback now and they're fairly easy to grow and they're long lasting as a cut flower.
1: Yeah, carnations are really interesting because I feel like for a long time they were like seen as like the cheap mm-hmm. flower. But I also feel like now they're exploring different varieties of carnations that have really beautiful, like different colors and like textures. And mm-hmm. just like the way the petals are like kind of ruffling is so cool um, that you look at it and you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know this was a carnation. Like it looks so right. cool. Right.
2: Yeah. Sarah has a knack for finding those and bringing them <laughs> Bringing them to the house, I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got to grow those.
3: (laughs) I (laughs) love them. It's funny because I think there's still a few people that are like, ew, they like turn their nose up to a carnation. But I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on the on team carnation, and I'm trying to convert everybody. (laughs) Uh
2: And you can grow. See, the carnation market totally left the U.S. It seemed like it was grown Mm -hmm. only in South America, but small farmers are growing them again. Nice. And these new varieties, yeah, they're amazing. I would put daffodils on the easy, even though it's a bulb, it's still perennial. They're gorgeous. They multiply pest-free and dahlias. And then, I mean, the list could go on. You could have shrubs and grasses and vines. and yeah. So
0: many. No, so I stopped there with the <laughs> <perennial>. <laughs> It's an extensive list. Yeah. So, I mean, thank that's you.
1: a great sampling for people to get started, yes. like Googling and figuring out which uh-huh. ones from there that they're interested in. Yeah. And peonies are so interesting because, you know, I feel like they're such an expensive flower if yeah. you're going to buy them cut. But once you start growing them, well, depending on your climate. So, we're in a more northern climate, we're in Oregon. And peonies mm-hmm. definitely need a colder climate to grow, but if you are in a colder climate, I've found peonies to be insanely easy to grow. Never had any problems with pests, diseases, nothing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like such a great investment for like, you know, buying one peony plant for like, you know, $20. And then you get like Uh hundreds of dollars worth of cut flowers from it every year. You do. Yes.
2: It might take two to three years to uh, fully establish itself and bloom, get into where it's thriving and blooming like that. But once it does, you'll be rewarded year after year.
1: And then kind of going along with, you know, talking about cut flowers and stuff, do you guys have some recommendations of which varieties will keep the longest as cut flowers
3: yeah I think one it's funny because I'm like what is long to you (laughs) I usually look at like is it gonna last a week
1: yeah that's what actually what came to mind for me too It was like a week I feel it could be like pretty solid
3: yeah. And uh, I, I think again, kind of speaking seasonally in the springtime. So your bulb flowers like tulips, hyacinth, daffodils, those all last long. The great, like you can, you can pull up a tulip and as a farmer florist, you know, we pull up our tulip bulbs. We pull the whole bulb out of the ground so that we can get a longer stem so that we can use that, that stem to design with. Mm-hmm. Um we can pull tulip bulbs out of the ground and put them in a cool, cool space and they'll last for weeks like I had tulips for almost a month um, wow. after pulling them out of the ground yeah um when they're attached to the bulb they're still getting like they're still getting nutrition and and you know they might need a little hydration once you once you cut them off the bulb put them in some water when you're ready to use them um they might look a little wilty but once you get them in water they perk right up so tulips i think uh, just off the top of my head is something that would would definitely last very long peonies do as well again you can cut them the cool thing about a peony is they have many different stages Um, When they have that, like, tight bulb, you know, they're functional and beautiful in that tight bulb. But then most peony varieties tend to, like, open up into this just, like, huge, beautiful flower head with millions of petals. So peonies, depending on when you cut them, I think last a a very long time. It's hard for me because we cut for our events. So everything that we're cutting, we're using within the week.
2: Mm. Um, uh, everything is have a long life in in a home arrangement.
3: Yeah, same with marigolds. Hydrangea. Do you have others, mom, to add to that?
2: Um, yeah, I was thinking carnations and dianthus and mm-hmm. bachelor buttons all are simple to grow and have a long life in the base. Um, dahlias, if they're the smaller heads, not the big, beautiful heads, the fluffy heads, but the tighter heads mm-hmm. last pretty long, a good week or more. Then um, there's some others like jams, and there's a few that fall into this category where the the current flower that you cut it for, the petals will fall off a few days later, but a new bulb, a new bud opens up and blooms.
3: Hmm. So there's
2: a few flowers that will do that where, you know, there's petals falling, but then there's new ones opening.
3: Yeah, like June. like, I think crocosmia was the other one I was thinking lasts a long time.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. We like to use heucheras. They last a long time. Mm-hmm. But they're um, more, they're, I don't know, Sarah, if you use the flowers so much as the gorgeous leaves, you know, you kind of they chunk down and then you get all these awesome leaf patterns.
3: Yeah, I tend to use the the foliage. Mm-hmm. Oh cool. I see, that's another aspect that we like we grow plants for their foliage. Yeah. Because having unique varieties of foliage um, or shapes, like leaf shapes um, that, that, you know, at least in floral design and event design, it adds a lot of variety and texture to my designs and my arrangement. And I think it would be the same for if you're designing just for uh, flowers at your home, like having some really unique, um, large shaped leaves to kind of Mm -hmm. um, create some, some dimension within your design. You know, I think that that's really nice to have. We, we have spirea. Spirea is one of my favorite perennials that you can use year-round to just add texture and some really beautiful shape to any sort of like design. So again, using it as a cut flower. I mean, it's gorgeous in the garden as well. But using right. it as a cut flower, I really, I love that specific plant.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, you mentioned also like that you like the look of those also in the garden. And so one of the questions that we had for you was, um, What are some of your favorite flowers to keep in the garden that may not necessarily be great cut flowers, but just like you enjoy growing? Either one of us?
1: Yeah. Either one. Okay. (laughs) Totally.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, hydrangeas, of course, are gorgeous in the yard. And if you cut them when they're older, the blooms will last, the, the blossom when it's older. But if you cut it as a young blossom, it'll look gorgeous for a day or two and then it'll wilt. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to cut those when they're older for lasting power. And I've done some things in arrangements for the home that um, just for my own pleasure. So I wanted to give freedom to experiment when you're at home. Do what you want. I put geraniums and petunias in flower arrangements and they look gorgeous. And again, not for a whole week. Yeah. GMs for the same reason because petals fall off and some people find that messy. But I love the new buds that open up. And, um, hellebores, when they're young, also like the hydrangeas, they will welt for me. But as yeah. they, as they grow older and they harden off a bit, then they're a great cut flower. And, day- and daylilies, same thing. They're so pretty in flower arrangements, but they only last a couple of days. But then again, the new bud right behind it will open up. Mm-hmm
1: i love hellebore because they are like one of the first things that blooms like in the new year so they're kind of like yeah. a late winter flower so it's like yeah my signal that okay you have like one month left until spring like yeah. you can make it just stole yeah. uh,
0: it's a hopeful flower
3: <laughs> it is it's yeah. a very Absolutely. hopeful flower. <laughs> mm-hmm. the other name is christmas rose right oh i didn't know that right. yeah. it's cool because <laughs> it, it does tend to bloom after christmas yeah. so it is such a such Mm -hmm. a beacon of light yeah
1: absolutely (laughs) and do you guys have any tips for you know increasing the amount of blooms on your flower plants but you know in like a sustainable way like uh are you guys doing like compost like organic you know like Mm -hmm. bone meal type fertilizers Mm -hmm. you know um yeah or like if you do have to deal with pests is there like a way you found Helpful, that's like safe to to do that? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> definitely compost and amending your soil, having healthy soil is very important to have a productive blossom, a, a plant producing lots of flowers. Um, so just the basics, healthy soil, adding compost and amendments, such as you would put bone meal when you're growing dahlias. Proper growing conditions, does it need to be in the sun or the shade? And as a new gardener or new grower, farmer, you know, you educate yourself or you learn or you learn by trial and error, you learn by asking, you learn by researching. So there's a lot of education that goes on constantly, Mm -hmm. checking, learning water needs. But then tips for actually increasing the bloom production would be to pinch back or top off, as some people call it, on a stem as it's emerging. Maybe like, for instance, dahlia is when it's about Four or five inches tall coming out of the ground, you would pinch it back to a leaf node, which makes the dahlia much bushier, more stems and therefore more flowers.
1: So oh, you, yeah. so, you, so you would cut it back to like an inch above a leaf node.
2: I would I, no we cut it, Sarah and I both, or pinch it. you can just the stems are soft enough you can just pinch them mm-hmm. to a leaf node. Oh, wow. So right. let's Do say it. the plant, yeah, the plant may be about four or five inches tall and you'll cut off. I cut off about halfway, but I make sure I'm right at a leaf node. And then um, you'll know it's a leaf node because the leaves are coming out. And then on either side, when you look closely, you'll see that there's little teeny tiny buds and those will each grow into new, new stems. So instead of having one stem, you'll have three stems. And then it just keeps getting bushier and bushier. And that happens even with shrubs.
3: Oh, nice. It's so, hard, it's so hard to do that. I'm always so, I'm like, I don't want to, you know, because you see this, like, you see these beautiful, like, stems with leaves and you know, it's, there's going to be a flower and you've watched it for a month grow <laughs> and bigger and to mm-hmm. cut it back is so hard. But mm-hmm. it does really help the production of getting a bigger, bushier, stronger plant. I do that on like I mean I think cutting like cutting uh, or not, what's like trimming roses same thing mm-hmm. like giving mm-hmm. them um, giving them trims actually helps them grow more. H- uh, Hydrangeas another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean we do that with what like zinnias, zinnias yeah, and yeah. cosmos,
2: Cos- uh-huh. a lot of things. A lot of annuals will produce more that way for sure. Mm-hmm. And then it's a good thing. It's a good technique to use with shrubs that bloom. Although some shrubs only bloom once, and so then they're done, which Mm -hmm. is quite you know it happens with a lot of them. But if you want to get a lot of blooms, you'll trim it early in the spring or late in the fall, and then you'll get more stems or more branches Mm -hmm. in that case with Mm -hmm. more blooms. And then yes, for pests, I use I think it's called Sluggo. It's an Omri organic thing because slugs and snails attack quite a few they'll do the dahlias they attack the hellebores so i will use pesticide like that we naturally seem to have the ladybugs and the uh i can't make it the praying mantis oh nice and the lace wings that are out here that help with the aphids and keep that kind of thing down there's some beetles i took a class on um how to fight the bad bugs and it was with good bugs and there's a ton of information that came out of that from the Oregon OSU Extension Service. Mm. So exploring classes, too, is a great way to educate yourself.
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, we, we've we done ladybugs before because we have caterpillar variety that comes back every year on our gooseberry and currant bushes. And we'll just like eat them, the leaves like overnight. Mm. Um and it's so easy to just, you know, if you go to garden stores in the spring, especially like earlier in the early to mid spring, they always uh-huh. have ladybugs for sale and those praying mantis sacks too. And, and it's kind of fun to just kind of like open the bag and like watch like a hundred ladybugs just like crawl <laughs> out. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's great. Do you guys have some personal favorites for cut flower or botanical arrangements by the season?
3: yeah winter time you know it's it's hard here in the pacific northwest you know we've got hellebore and some really beautiful i really love like sticks or <laughs> um, like dried grasses so i'm like oh these sticks are in great grasses are beautiful there's you know, nothing alone from the garden so i'm happy to have them um <laughs> but uh hellebore for sure in the winter time is something that we have um i you know, we have maybe five or six varieties growing, and I i want like 30 more varieties because it is such a special, beautiful flower. And you know, again, if you cut it at the right time, it's a great, long lasting flower in the springtime. We do a lot of bulbs, so tulips, hyacinth, daffodils. I planted some alliums this year for the first time. Um, also, some well, it's a bulb flower that will bloom, I guess, in summer, but li- like lilies, oriental lilies, mm. and then you know, in the summer, man, there's just so much that's growing and amazing, but we grow a lot of dahlias on the farm. So we have, I don't even know how many varieties, but probably like I don't 30, know, 30. Yeah. Wow. yeah and every year we're getting more. So I have, as my mom mentioned, I, I planted a rose garden, which maybe only has like 30 plants in it so far, but, um, with plans to like, double or triple that you know in the next couple of years and roses are something i mean obviously for weddings i use them for every arrangement but it also is just one of my favorite flowers in general i just i love the bloom i love you know how how they smell and how they make me feel so uh roses are definitely one of my favorites and then autumn okay i mean dahlias are kind of a late they go all the way until the first freeze so you use a lot I also really like foliages in autumn. Um, like, snowberry is one of my favorites. There's this autumn snowberry that is so gorgeous.
1: One thing that, when, so because you guys did my wedding flowers, actually, that's how I first met you through my sister.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And one thing that you were talking about, Joe, that I remember that I've just loved ever since is Hypernicum berries. Are those, uh-huh. Uh so they're like little, berries they're not edible but they're just beautiful buttons of bright color Um, yeah are those something that we can grow here and um when when's their season if so
2: yes i actually have about three varieties growing in my garden and we do use them and then um there's a few out in the the farm or the cutting garden that are growing also and so there's they they are perennial here. I didn't know if they would grow or not, and they have. I experimented, and they've done very well. Oh, nice. So I have a pink one and a green one, uh, lots of red, uh, yellow. I don't know the botanical names of each variety, but they do grow well.
1: And how big is your guys' property or farm where you grow your flowers? I think
2: the whole area, including the little—my husband just built Sarah and I— uh, potting shed and a refrigerator so that whole area is probably a half acre it's really not that big we have four what is it six feet wide by 60 feet long rows
1: okay and that's
2: where the majority of the production happens plus obviously sometimes my flower beds
3: pretty small area that we're growing on i'm i I keep wanting to like expand um but you can do a lot in a small space
2: you Mm. can and that is not including her rose garden that she planted last year yeah and we both have plans we want to have a whole area just for shrubs and greens Mm. um and we're looking out you know out on because we have five acres here where we live and sarah and i are planning the next site the next farming area and my husband's like no 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 there's no water there <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, yeah <laughs> well will get it approved by 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 the dad i guess <laughs> well, yeah.
0: always good to have it's his fighting. approval
1: yeah definitely yeah,
2: little by little he comes along <laughs>
1: I'm curious do you guys um ever harvest the seeds for your annuals like if an annual comes up and is maybe like cross-hybridized with another that happens to be next to it and it has like a little bit of a unique color do you like are you getting into like plant or flower breeding at all and like ooh I like this I'm going to like earmark this flower to make sure that I collect the seeds from this one for next year
2: Well what I do is I collect a ton of seed and then I think okay. And I do mark them now. I didn't even use to mark them. So now I know what the seed is, but it hasn't been bred specifically. So I'm not, I haven't earmarked anything. And then um, they're still sitting in bags, probably five years old now and up through last year that I haven't planted. <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> so I do have plenty of seed. Yeah. In fact, we threw out some, a bit of it sarah um when we started our wildflower garden so there is the wildflower garden too we didn't include in the amount of space that we're growing in we just tossed yeah. a bunch of those out there we yeah.
3: did save some seed we had some really unique varieties of poppies that had kind of crossed bread it seemed or i don't know but um and they they were growing in the wildflower garden so we some seeds we had specifically planted and some were like just from a wildflower mix and i definitely mm-hmm. we definitely saved some of those seeds that turn you know pre- presented these really beautiful blooms and and unique colors um but yeah like mom said we haven't we haven't gotten around to to planting them yet or or trying to get them you know
2: yeah making babies yeah. <laughs> it take it takes a little more um than what I've been doing, a little more um, orderly fashion of categorizing and yeah. all of that. And I just, I, you know, and I just note taking and I haven't done
1: that. Yeah, it is like you have to have like an Excel spreadsheet basically and like stay really <laughs> on top of like, okay, I <laughs> got like this seed sure. from this plant and this was like the color. And it's hard too because when you see a flower in bloom, you're like, oh, I really like that one. Well, you have to uh-huh. wait until it's like pretty like dead like dead and dried out uh-huh. or until the fruit develops to harvest the seed and by that time there's mm-hmm. no petals left so it's like you have to mark it with like a little yes. tag when it's blooming and yes. then remember to come back to that flower later to harvest the seeds exactly so, yeah. yeah
2: yeah yeah i for the first time ever harvested seed from the dahlias oh cool. but i didn't mark a single one so i don't know what's going to come up and my my goal for this year is to get those in the ground
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting because, like, you know, a lot of the flowers that grow from when you're, like, buying them, you know, you buy the bulbs or and whatnot, but mm-hmm. they do produce seed, um, mm-hmm. whereas, like, the bulb is, like, a, a genetic clone of the original right. or, like, a cutting. If you grow a rose from a cutting, that's a genetic clone of the original, but if you get it from the seed of the plant uh-huh. and propagate it that way... Then you've now created like new genetic material that might have, you know, if you have multiple dahlias, it, there might have been cross-pollination with like a exactly. nearby dahlia. and Now you have mm-hmm. a unique looking variety, mm-hmm. but that takes so much longer to grow than just from like a tuber when you're starting mm-hmm. from like right. a teeny baby seed. But that, that aspect is so interesting.
2: It is. It's a fun thing. And I, I told Sarah, I think I'm going to try that this year because I've been reading a lot about it since on- i as I follow different farmers, and I thought, I think I'll try that. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's definitely something I'd like to do more of, for sure, when I have more time, like I mentioned in my five-year plan. <laughs> would, would be My retirement plan uh, would be doing some of that breeding of just really unique varieties, and there's, you know, there's a lot of farmers that are doing that now, um, mm-hmm. and, and growing really unique varieties, And but it, what I find is, It's hard to get those those seeds or, you know, those seeds are pretty limited Mm -hmm. in quantity, at least at this point, because, you know, they're they're, you know, as we just described, the whole process is painstaking. But, yeah, um, yeah, it'd be something that I would love to just explore for our own pleasure here, you know, sometime down the line, because it is it it is very uh, labor intensive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Time-consuming. There's a book I yeah. have about plant breeding that's really good. I forget what it's called, but I'll um, I'll email you the title and I'll add it to the show notes for any listeners who yeah. are interested because it's it makes it more approachable. Yeah, so it's super interesting.
0: That would be great. I feel like I'm kind of just sitting here listening to you guys because this is like my only familiarity into this world. It really is uh, that my husband's you know fifth generation. Orchardist. So, a lot of our growing is like very different in terms of Mm. our problems or issues that come up on the farm, whether it's, you know, fire blight or just dealing Mm -hmm. with other pests, maybe probably different pests and whatnot. But I'm curious what some of the common issues that happen with flower growing in particular are and how you guys kind of handle those.
2: So, what problems happen with flower growing in particular? I would say. Ability to, for me, because I'm working, I I work in the schools and Sarah's working too. So just having the time to manage and to keep up with maintenance is a, is a big problem. And it's one that is backbreaking at times because there's like tons of, one year, it's amazing. I didn't weed one year. And my husband, we have grass paths and my husband mowed. And this is, you know, we're, we're new at this. This was a few years back. And he didn't bag what he was mowing. And all this grass that he mowed shot into the garden. Oh, and no. so the next year, it was full of grass and yeah. full of weeds. And it was like, oh, my goodness. You <laughs> see the flowers. We have some pictures of it. It was unbelievable. So that we've all learned as we've gone along. And he's really careful about that now. But, um, just the constant maintenance of mm-hmm. keeping things under control so that the flowers and the plants can, can thrive. And then we've had some problems with watering properly, finding the right drip irrigation that will work. Mm-hmm. Should we do it per plant? Should, you know, there's different varieties, different ways to water out there. So, um, we've been experimenting with that. But for me, those are the two bigger problems. Everything else really does seem to grow well other than that you know, having to bite the water, make sure they're watered well.
1: Yeah. What are you, so are you guys still doing drip irrigation, like dripping per plant? Or do you have like a soaker hose or? Two
2: rows are one way and the other two rows are another way where we grow the dahlias and we have per plant. So it's a big long line that my husband stretched out. And then Sarah and I have learned how to attach what we need so that we can add, just add dahlias and they each have their own dripper line. Nice. Um, in other areas like where the seeds are, where some of the shrubs are growing, it's not a soaker hose because that didn't do well. It's a hose that has perforations every 12 inches. Okay. And then it just, it drips out. but so, you know, it needs to stay on for a long time to get the whole area wet. But then again, that was a problem because then it was too much water for the seeds. Mm-hmm. So just learning how to regulate the water too and what, what would be best. And you do a lot of
3: hand watering out there too,
2: you know. I do, yeah. yeah. For me, it's relaxing. It's enjoyable, yeah. (laughs) It is. It's a quiet, I'm usually out there in the evenings when I water, which is kind of what you shouldn't do because you don't want your leaves to be wet at night. So Mm -hmm. I'm very careful about that part. But
1: it's very relaxing. Does it cause like fungus if they're wet, the leaves are wet at nighttime, or what? Why would, why is that? Yes. Okay
2: especially like with roses. But so I don't even touch the roses. Mm. Um, but I do have roses in my next cutting bed and it they will get a black spot on them. Mm. But I still do hand water out there. I hand water the annuals. And partly is because I decided to turn off the drip line on that whole row where the seeds were growing because it was getting too much water. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't figure out the right way to water it. So I just decided to hand water which I don't mind doing. And then I always check everything usually in the morning or evening, how's everything looking and who needs a spot water here or there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, um, you know, I know, Joe, you are coming from New Mexico. So if we have any listeners who are in maybe a more dry or sunny, hot area, um, Mm -hmm. do you have any flowers that could grow well in those areas?
2: Yeah, actually quite a few that you grow here can grow there. I, For instance, I didn't think you could grow hostas in the high desert, but I went to go visit my husband's aunt who lives in Santa Fe. And it's cooler there than in Albuquerque um, and kind of a little mountainous area where she was. And she was growing a lot of hellebores. I mean, not hellebores, hostas. So they just need to have shade. So, mm. yeah, I would grow zinnias and definitely the sunflowers, all the annuals you can grow there. You just really have to amend the soil and add lots of water. Make sure it gets plenty of water.
1: Hi. Roses do really well. Mm-hmm. Oh, they love yeah. the heat.
2: Yeah, oh, wow.
1: That's so interesting. Because uh-huh. yeah. you always think of roses as like an English thing. So you think they may be like the like colder, like wetter climate, but...
2: Oh, really? Just the opposite. That's they love interesting. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can grow, like Sarah had mentioned, Crocosmia earlier. You can, they like it out there. Um, Echinaceas, rudbeckias.
1: And for everyone listening, if you're like, what are all of these names? Um, <laughs> we'll add <laughs> them to the show notes. So if you pop over the show notes, we'll have like a list of the flowers that have been mentioned and links to like a, an image. Results so that you can get an idea of how how they all look
2: i did notice in new mexico you had to plant tulips in the high desert i think anywhere that's high desert you have to plant for instance tulips and bulbs that we love 12 inches deep and so that's what i did when we first moved here everything went 12 inches deep and nothing came up i was so frustrated i dug right planted everything and they had all rotted
3: um. here
2: in the pacific northwest where it's much wetter you only need to go about five inches deep. Yeah. Um, so there was that noticeable difference, plus the clay soil versus the sandy soil.
1: Yeah. And then this is a question that we actually ask to all of our guests. And it's what does home feel like to you? I'll let
2: Sarah go first.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: home feels like to me, um, a south-facing window with lots of warm sunlight coming through, mm-hmm. and a cup of tea and a good book and a quiet, <laughs> a quiet moment of just like, <laughs> relaxing and nothing to do.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Love it.
3: <laughs> Definitely that south-facing window. <laughs> oh uh,
2: yes, I agree. <laughs> so for mm-hmm. me, home is calm and quiet. Um, Definitely the south facing. I love as many windows facing south as possible. A view of a garden or a tree or something that you can see from home, just so it feels calming. The freedom to create and to experiment and to be comfortable and relaxed in your home.
0: I love that. Mm And Joe and Sarah, where can people find you, whether that's website, social media? You know, what is what's the best way to get connected to you guys? And do you have any classes that you're going to be offering now or soon? So um,
3: my business is called Selva, S-E-L-V-A, Selva Floral. Um, And you can find me on Instagram at Selva Floral, online at SelvaFloral.com. I also very poorly have um, a farm Instagram that <laughs> um, my mom and I. Kind of- <laughs> <No, wrong. laughs> That's so true. We, t- we were um, so
2: gung ho at first.
3: <laughs> yeah, we like, started on Instagram, but yeah, there. So our farm is called Dancing Trees, and the Instagram is Dancing Trees Farm PDX. And as far as again, like I, my my focus is more on um, arranging and design. Um, I will be hosting a few um, large scale workshops. I'm still working on all the details and dates and stuff, but the best way to be in touch is either via um, my website or on Instagram, get in touch with me and um, get information on when those will be hosted. Yeah. And maybe, you know, part of what my, my mom and I have talked about is hosting, um, like flower arranging workshops out on the farm, Mm -hmm. um, where people can walk the garden and cut, cut flowers from the garden and then have a little, um, a little workshop class where i can discuss the basics of floral design so that's something that's definitely been on our radar and maybe we'll get it we'll get to it this year too making that happen uh, uh-huh. so i think we're both excited yeah a lovely experience for people and for us to to be able to share
1: yeah or mm-hmm. like even also teaching like flower growing workshops too for people who are mm-hmm. like curious mm-hmm. about that Yeah, Mm -hmm. I used
2: to do workshops myself years ago on container plantings and how to grow those plants. And Mm -hmm. that's I'm looking in a year or two to retire. So I've been starting to think about maybe I'll go back to those kinds of workshops, which was really fun.
1: Yeah. And then we also have um, some listener mail if you guys are down to help us answer some of these questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. So we'll we'll kick it off with the garden one, and then we'll dive into the home one. So the garden question comes from Alexis of Pacific Midwest on Instagram, and she wants to know about any seed starting tips for beginners. Do you guys have any?
2: Yes and no. If you want quicker blooms, you'll start your seeds in trays or containers inside the house, or if, you know, if you're blessed enough to have a greenhouse. Otherwise, you'll put them outside and you just have to read the packets. Mm-hmm. When should you be planting them outside for your zone? Some seeds, it's beneficial to like like sweet peas, let them soak overnight before you plant them. Other seeds, like the ones we mentioned, the zinnias and the marigolds and the sunflowers, and I can't remember what else we mentioned earlier. They are very easy to grow. You just need to, I would simply follow the, the directions on the packet.
1: No. Yeah. And I would say also a game changer for me in terms of getting more seeds to actually germinate and sprout um, Mm -hmm. is using one of those seed starting mats. So it's Mm -hmm. basically like a little heating pad that you plug into the wall, but it's Mm. waterproof and it goes underneath your little seed tray. And it's just like kind of warm. So it makes the soil a little bit warmer and makes more seeds germinate. But with flowers, it can be hard sometimes because I feel like Maybe they want it to be a little cooler, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's not Well, accurate. to
2: germinate, you do want them warmer. However, okay. some seeds like poppies, they need it to be colder. Yeah. So some of that is, you know, trial and error. Yeah. I, I think the germinating mat that you talked about is a great way to get them to germinate mm. quicker. Yeah. But with that being said, be ready to start planting them or plucking them out and putting them into gro- into the next size up pot. Because it probably, depending when you start them, a lot of people start January, February, they're not ready to go outside yet.
1: Yeah. And then for our home question, we have a question from Alba. And she says, I'd love to design a psychotherapy room at my countryside home. Ideas? It's 12 square meters, which is like 130 square feet. What Mm -hmm. do you think,
0: Sam? (laughs) Um. I, what's well, interesting, I actually, when I read this question, I had no idea that Joe had a background in special education. So I feel like this is actually very relevant yeah. to um, maybe her background as well. But I, you know, just generically speaking, without knowing what the personal needs are, I think, you know, a pretty muted color palette, things mm-hmm. that are soft, tactile, really good lighting um, that can be adjusted based on, you know, Wanting low live- level, less stimulation, really just a super calm space. Mm-hmm. And
2: I can see um, Sarah would be putting in a tall live plant because greenery mm-hmm. really does add to a calmness. And yeah, a yeah,
1: yep. yeah, yeah. Maybe some like like you were saying a more calm color palette, like pastels or like creams, mm-hmm. or just not like super bright saturated colors right and not too dark either because that can be a little depressing especially oh yeah um jeremy just brought in a good point because my brother's a counselor so he has like shared some tips with me but there's this thing called five senses grounding which is like when you're feeling really overwhelmed or stressed i think it's like what are five things you can see like Four things you can hear, three things you can like touch and like one thing you can smell, one thing you can or like two things you can smell and one thing you can taste. Basically kind of seeing how you can invoke each of those five senses in the space, too. So Mm -hmm. maybe like a sofa that is more tactile so they could like feel a texture on it. Right. And like you have maybe like an essential oil diffuser going in the room for like really calming, soothing smells like Mm -hmm. lavender or something or like cypress oil and uh, maybe some pretty soothing artwork on the walls too. maybe more nature based artwork and then kind of like. Joe, what you were saying about what your ideal home would be, like a nice view of the garden out the window, maybe also thinking about Alba too, the landscape design outside the window of your psychotherapy room and making sure that view is something nice and soothing and relaxing, like even putting a bird feeder outside. So maybe they can watch birds come and go too during the appointment. That might be a really nice, mm-hmm. kind of cozy mm-hmm. situation. I love that. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think the other mm-hmm. thing I would think of too is just picking materials that have like low noise reverberation, yeah. you know, so like picking carpets or putting rugs down or not having a ton of hard surface materials that when you interact with cause like knocking
1: or, you know, just like really low sound materials in there. Yeah. That's a really good idea too. Yeah, in case someone is crying or upset so that they feel like they still have privacy and it doesn't feel like it's echoing in the room that they're in. Right. Yeah, that's a very good idea. Well, those are really interesting questions. And thank you again so much, you guys, for being here. It was so awesome to talk to you about flowers and, you know, spring is nearly here. So it's just so great to start envisioning, you know, what the flower garden can look like at home and then bringing that into your house too. It was just so special. So it was just really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Thank
3: you for having
0: me. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I feel like I learned a lot so
1: i'm looking okay. forward <laughs> i'm glad thinking about it Yay. yeah you could start growing um, some flowers this spring maybe i don't know
0: eva you keep saying that but the 35 <laughs> acres of <laughs> pears and apples are enough for us right now <laughs> so it's we'll see one okay. little
3: box or one little bed that you yes
0: can- <laughs> i'm like here for it actually but it's more yep. just like between two kids at home and a farm yeah and then you know my business on top of it it's like oh this is a lot (laughs) that'll be in my retirement plan too so
3: every year I want to grow vegetables at my house because we have a vegetable farm out out at my parents property too but you know I'm not there every day and so I always want to have vegetables in my house (laughs) every (laughs) year You know, you grow vegetables during the summer, which is my my busiest, my busiest time of the year. And I'll I'll plant, you know, five, six, you know, tomato plants and and peppers and all kinds of things. And I just I kill them every single (laughs) year. (laughs) I can't manage to water, you know, so
1: I get it. I know. It's hard. Yeah, the struggle is real. (laughs) yeah (laughs) well thank you guys again so much and thank you yeah we'll talk to you soon okay thank you so much take care Bye. bye bye please rate review and
0: subscribe it really helps you can find our show notes with resources and links at feelslikehomepodcast.com. For design advice, send in your listener mail at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at feelslikehomepodcast.
1: The Feels Like Home Podcast is produced by Jeremiah Flores and hosted by interior designer Sam Struck and styles and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in and stay cozy, friends.